Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, as we look at verse 15 this morning. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. If you read any study about work, any study about your job placement or job situation, you'll find out that many, many people are dissatisfied with where they are. It's amazing to me. You know, I look at different studies. I look this week at some different studies in particular that speak about satisfaction in the workplace. And I've, I found a consensus throughout all of those studies, basically, that most people, majority of people, are dissatisfied in what they do from day to day. The majority of people. Sometimes it's the study will say 52%, sometimes it'll be higher, like 70-something percent. But can you think about it just a moment, that all of these folks, different individuals, they have a job, they have a place, they go every day, and yet they are dissatisfied. That must be a miserable life. You know, I, Leslie and I have talked a bit about this many times. I, I can't quite grasp that. I, I can't understand sometimes the dissatisfaction that can come with a job. I love what I do. Now, some of you say, well, yeah, I'd love it too. If I only had to work on Sundays, that would be an awesome job. And I mean, it would just be exactly what I'd, I don't know why I didn't think about that earlier in my life. But I've always known that God had called me to preach and pastor. I mean, I've known that for many years. I say always, basically since I was 16 years old, I knew that God had called me to this office. And there have been some difficult days. I, I'll be honest with you. There have been some difficult days in my life, in my family's life, in the church's life, in different places that I've served. But I've never doubted that this was what God called me to do. And I've always found satisfaction in Christ. Satisfaction in His placement here in this, in this area of life. But you know, I recognize that some of us, some of us perhaps, maybe we haven't seen our jobs as callings. Maybe we haven't seen the work that, that God has put right before us. We haven't seen it necessarily in, with eternal significance. And yet, I believe that God has a calling upon all of our lives. That he has stationed us in the place he has for a purpose, for a reason. I believe that God has a great I believe God has a great work for all of us. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 I think sets this idea for us of the significance of work in our lives and how we should see it as, a, as an opportunity to glorify God. It, it's a very simple verse. It, it, it really sums up what God has done here as God has brought Adam. And, and, and it says in verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. It just says simply that this God took the man, took Adam, and of course we know he'll take Eve as well. He'll place them in the garden. And what he'll say is basically, you take care of this. You tend this. You keep it. That simplistic task. Now, I think this verse really informs us. It, it speaks to us about work. It speaks to us about daily activities. It speaks to us about our gifts and our strengths. It speaks to us about how we serve 
him. And certainly as we look at it, it speaks about how the, about the will of God for work itself. God intended for us to work. Now, these opening chapters of Genesis, basically, God demonstrates his creative ability. And he also shows that he is the one that is in charge. He is the one that is calling the shots. I think most of us would agree, right? When you look at those opening chapters of Genesis, you have no doubt that God is the one who is actively working in creation. He's the one who brings forth creation. He's the one who brings forth life. He is the one that brings forth purpose. God is the one that is actively at work. We would agree with that. God is the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in control. And here, you'll see it says, the Lord God takes the initiative in Adam's life. God, God is the one that takes the initiative, and he takes man, and he places him there in the garden. So here, God is taking this initiative. He is working with purpose. He is working with plan to fulfill his will in the man's life. And it says here that he calls him to work to tend the garden. So this may be hard for us to understand, but work did exist in paradise. I mean, come on, folks. When you think of paradise, you don't think of work, do you? When you think of something that, I mean, you're thinking of that that place of utopia where you can just get away and you, you're not thinking anything about working. You might think about lying out on a beach. You might think about taking a little swim. You might think about just listening, listening to the birds in the trees. I mean, anything but work. So when you think of the Garden of Eden, I mean, and it represents for us so much this idea of paradise. Most of us wouldn't think, oh yeah, work. Eden was about work. Most of us wouldn't think that. Most of us have in our minds that work was a product of the fall. Most of us believe that the work that we do is because of the curse that God has placed upon our lives and upon this earth's life. Well... When you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, as you see the consequences of the fall, you'll see that work did get harder. Work was not introduced with the fall, but work did get harder with the fall. In other words, after man's sin, man had to work. It, it was going to be much more toilsome for him as he achieved his purposes. But work itself was not produced by the fall. I, th I think somehow we have to come back to that and, and get the biblical picture, the biblical standpoint that work was always intended by God. Even in paradise itself, God intended for people to work. Now, I say again that many of us maybe look at work we think of it as a curse, not a calling. It's something you got to do, but not necessarily something you are called to do. I think that is a distinction that we need to, to address in our lives. And we need to recognize that all of us have been called 
not just to generic work, but we have been called to a specific work, a specific station of life. All of us have been. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that I felt God's call upon my life very strongly when I was 16 years old. I was in a revival service. I was sitting on the very front row. I was leading music at the church at that time. So I had sat down and and the preacher began to preach. And he was one of those preachers. Some of you remember this. Like he was one of those preachers that could spit to the third row, fifth row, something like that. You know, some of you've been there. You've seen, I mean, and, and, and he was just animated. He was like, I mean, he was preaching. I, I don't remember anything he said. Nothing he said. All I remember was God getting a hold of my life during that service. And I was sitting there on the front, and I knew God had been dealing with me before, and I had known that, but it was very real. The power of God moved upon me and, and demonstrated to me that he was calling me to preach. He was calling me to pastor. I knew that. So what did I do? Well, I remember going up to lead the song for the invitation for just a moment, just getting it started. And then I thought to myself, I'm up here leading the invitation. I need to be seeing the preacher during the invitation. And I made my way down and I saw the pastor and I expressed my heart that night. It was a Monday or Tuesday night, I think, of the revival service. Told him that I felt called to ministry. I felt called to vocational ministry in the church. He announced it to the church. You know the way we do this as pastors. We just kind of say, okay, this is what happened. This is what Reggie has said. And Reggie will preach Sunday morning. <laughs> I was kind of like, Brother David, we didn't talk about that. You know, I, 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 was, I said I was ready to preach, but I didn't say I was ready Sunday. He said, Reggie will preach Sunday morning. And, and, uh, and I did. I worked the rest of the week on my message. I got it together. I got up and I preached that day. Different ones, Leslie and I, we weren't even dating at the time. But God's providence was certainly there. His sovereignty was there. And she came that day with a few other folks, a few other of my friends came for that first message. It, it was kind of rough. You think I'm rough now. You should have seen me in the beginning. But I remember that. All of the calling and all of the... The, the struggle I had and, 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 and knowing when I surrendered to God that this was exactly what he wanted me to do. Well, I will tell you that too often, too often we have separated the call for preachers and pastors and we've put it into a certain category and we've forgotten that God will call and God will work in other people's lives as well. Look, we as Baptists, we were known we were known for the idea that the laity was called just as the clergy members were called. There wasn't to be this distinction of the pastoral call, the preacher, and the laity somewhere else. For us as Baptists, we believed that the Holy Spirit of God lived in each and every one of us. We believed in something called the priesthood of all believers. We believed that as long as you heard the Spirit of God in your life and you conformed to the Word of God as you came, God could use you and God would use you. And I am certain, I believe today, that God has a call upon people's lives, not just preachers. Now listen, it is important. I see Brother Callie, my friend who is here today, he had a call in his life and he knows it's important 
it's significant. The call of God is what holds us in place when we go through some of the most difficult times of our lives. But that is not just something for the preachers to experience. For those of you who teach and are professors, you ought to have felt the call of God upon your life to go into that classroom and to make a difference. For those of you who are in the medical field, your doctors, your nurses, you're working in physical therapy, whatever it is, you ought to feel the call of God upon your life. Those of you who are in the financial systems, you ought to know that God has placed you there for a purpose. If you are there as a as a plumber, God has called you for a specific reason. If you have your own business, God has called you there to make a difference. God has a work. Here it says, he took the man and he placed him in the garden. And he said, I want you, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to keep it. God took the initiative and put him there. And friends, God takes the initiative in our lives. You are where you are because God has allowed you to be there. God has placed you there in that position. How will you use it? How will you use it to advance the kingdom of God? How will you use it to glorify God? We need to understand, certainly, that God is intended for us to work. Specifically, He is intended for us to make a difference. Now, again, I was raised in a a working household. Some of you heard me tell about my dad. My dad was a proud teamster. To this day, to this day, he will talk about his service, his work. He would come home many days and you, you could see the sweat and the grease from the work that he had done. Probably the two most quoted verses in my household when I grew up, I hate to tell you, it wasn't John 3, 16. It wasn't Philippians 4. It, it wasn't that. The, the most quoted verses in my house growing up was, if a man does not work, he does not eat. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If a man does not provide for his family, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if he doesn't provide for his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. He has denied his faith and is worse than... The non-believer. I mean, those were the verses I heard coming up. I knew it was about working. And working with a purpose. Listen, in paradise, God said there was a work. In our lives, God says there's a work. He reiterates it, not only in the New Testament, but even back... If you look at the fourth commandment, if you look at the fourth commandment, as God spoke to his people, he spoke to them about work. Some of you are sitting here thinking, work? I thought he said rest. Fourth commandment. He said, keep the Sabbath and make it holy, hallow it. Yeah, but don't forget that embedded in that commandment, what God said was, work hard six days. Now, I don't always take that literal, by the way. <clears throat> Five's good with me sometimes. But he said, work. Even in the midst, he says, you need rest. Why? Because you've worked. He understood that his people would be about work. And he has called us. And, and he, is, he is wanting us to recognize that the, the will of God for us is to work. We need to be people set upon work. Now, 
I think we use the wisdom of God in our work. Now, it says here that he takes man and again, he places him there and he says to tend it. Some of your translations will say to work it. it it's used elsewhere to talk about just the basic tilling of the ground. I mean, just take care of it, till the ground. The idea of keep it, well, it's the idea that you guard it. You guard the garden, which is ironic because when Adam fails to tend and keep the garden, God has to bring in these specialized angels to guard the garden. Very ironic of what happens. But God says to the man, he says, I want you to keep, I want you to till, I want you to take care of this garden. I think this is awesome. That God trusts Adam so much that he says you can be in charge of this garden. You can take care of it. Now, some of you say, well, that was misplaced trust. We know what Adam did. God knew what Adam was going to do as well. God had a plan always in place. From the very foundation of this earth, before it was formed, God knew what he was going to do through Christ. But notice here, he still gave the man the opportunity. He still said, hey, I'm going to allow you to till the garden, to take care of these things to guard it i trust you i give you my garden remember last week when we talked about stewardship you all don't know how much it bothers me sometimes when you don't remember what i say last week we talked about stewardship and how that really applies to everything that we do. And, and that we have to come to this point of recognizing that, hey, we own nothing. We really don't. We, we don't own anything. We, we like to pride ourselves and our accomplishments and our achievements. We, we love, I mean, again, I, I'm all for work. You heard me talking about that. But I recognize the only reason that I can work and I can do what I need to do is because God has given me the physical health. He has given me the strength. God has given me his grace and favor. And that's the only reason I am able to have what I have today. It all belongs to him. And when I say that, I'm talking about all of my finances, all of my possessions, all of my family, everything belongs to him but what he has done is he has said hey you can manage this for me you take care of this you're not the master but you are the steward in this case and you can take care of these things and i want you to take care of these things i want you to cultivate it i want you to till it literally what it means is to take the raw materials and produce something out of it i mean if you look at what that word meant, it meant to take the raw resources that you have and somehow produce 
something that is good and that is glorifying. So he says, I've given you all those things. Now what you can do is you can tend to that. You can guard it. You, you can cultivate it for good and glory. That's what he wants us to do. Is to take what we have and cultivate it. Our resources, our family, everything for the master's good. Now, it does go beyond a simplistic image of the gardener or farmer, but oh, how that image informs us. Even though it's simple, it informs us. I stayed so many days with my grandparents. They lived right across the yard from me. Leslie says we had a compound. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those before. But like where all the family just kind of lives there. She is so thankful for you and for Rustin. (laughs) To keep me away from the compound. Most importantly to keep her away from the compound I think. But I would always, I would stay with my grandparents. I'd run across the yard. I would stay with them so often. Um, My grandparents... They had a dairy, and they farmed. That's the only way they got by. It was, it was a meager kind of existence, but they were, well, they were pretty happy. God was good to them. And they always reminded us, even though they might lack some things, they were, they were always joyful in what God had given them. And I remember going out with them, you know, going out in, in, in the spring or so when it was time to plant. And they would, I was young then, and they would, they would set me down on the, on the rows, and I would watch them. And sometimes as I was getting older, my grandmother would allow me to come and pour the miracle Grow into the tomatoes. Hey, you don't think that was a big deal? That was a big deal for me, that they finally trusted me to come out there. Or maybe they were just trying to keep my mind off other things and running around in the woods at that point. I don't know. But it always amazed me to see how they could do what they did. They could cultivate. They, I mean, it, it was a process. They knew what they had to do. And then, Lord willing, with the right rain and other things that would happen, they would produce. And those were good days when you got to eat those fresh fresh vegetables out of the garden and my grand my granny could cook like nobody else some of you don't know what i'm talking about i see that right here but i think about that image i mean here tending the garden cultivating it, it it's so simple and again it's hard to simplify it just into an image like the one i had growing up but basically they took the raw Resources that they had. And they used what God had given them. And they produced something that was much better in a sense. And provided it was good. And There's so many ways when we talk about God as he entrusts this to us as we are stewards. Is that we take what we have and we, we use it. To help others and to glorify him. John Stott gave this definition several months ago. I gave you this definition of work. 
But John Stott said that work is the expenditure of energy. Manual or mental or both. I like that part, by the way. My dad, I quote that definition to him. I did it over the summer when I saw him. When he sometimes calls me, as I've said on Sunday night, and he says, Hey, uh, what you done today? How you doing? How you feeling? Well, I'm tired. To which he usually responds, Oh, yeah. What you done today, Reggie? Well, I preached, Daddy. I had two services this morning. I had a meeting. He said, Ah, oh, okay. Worn you out, hadn't it? I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a rough life. I told him this summer when I saw him, I said, Dad, don't. It, it, John Stott said that work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both. And get this part, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. I love that definition. I committed it to memory some time ago because it just captures so many aspects of work. When I gave you that a few months ago, I didn't really, I don't think I dwelt too much on this idea of service of others. But you know, work should be about the service to others. Here, God says to Adam, hey, take care of the garden, cultivate it. That's what I want you to do. In other words, you have a, you have a responsibility, as we talked about last week. We all have a responsibility to creation itself. We all should be treat, treating creation itself in an ethical, pleasing way to God. All of us should be about that. But also, as we work, as we think about things, we should think about how our work is going to contribute to others. If you're working just for a paycheck, that, that is a low view of work. Now, I'm thankful for a paycheck, and you are too, aren't you? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I can provide for my family. I'm thankful for all those things. But if, if it is just for a paycheck, you will never be energized. You will never be excited about what you do. But when you see that your work, your work is something of higher value, of serving other people, you can begin to see that energy and excitement well up in you. May I say this? Some of you are here today and you say, this is a great message, thankful for you, but I'm retired it is good. And I'm proud you can preach that message to some of those folks that haven't retired yet. Friends, I do not believe retirement should be in the Christian vocabulary. I understand making a transition. No problem with that. But as long as God's given you the physical ability, he's given you the strength, you ought to be working for him in some way. You ought to be able to take your talents and your gifts. You ought to be using them in the church context, in the community context. You ought to be using them in the service of others. 
In so many ways, God has given you a great opportunity. Maybe you have a few more days, a few more hours than some other people. God's given you a great opportunity. Use it in the service of others. Hey, friends, I believe that God has called us, whether we're business people or other professionals, whatever it is, I believe God has called us to work and to plan for the benefit of others. I'm all for profitable businesses. That means you can employ other people and you can help their families. I'm all for successful people who can do things the ethical, wise way and see the blessing of God in their life so that they can help others. Listen, I do believe that God has called all of us able-bodied people to work. But I also believe that we, as God's people, we have a responsibility to the most vulnerable of the society, those who cannot work. Don't forget what James 1.27 says. It says that undefiled religion is that religion which seeks the most vulnerable of people, those who are orphans and widows, and helps them. We ought to be working in such a way that we know that we can help others. Not going to get into it all this morning. Probably shouldn't open this up. Leslie will give me the look like she did last week, probably. But friends, the reason that we have such an issue in our culture today, the reason we have such an issue with welfare itself and the government having step in is because the church ceded that responsibility many years ago. Instead of the church taking care of people in a legitimate way, we have said, you as a government, you take, you take charge. We ought to be working in such a way that we serve others and help other people. I've got to move on or I'm about to start preaching here in a minute, all right? We see the will of God... For work in this passage. I think that we see the wisdom of God in our work. But also we see the worship of God through our work. I'll say this as I get ready to close. In verse 15, the word tend, I told you it can mean work. It can mean toiling the ground is just a basic word that was used there. Do you know that word also can be translated in the Old Testament as worship? The Levitical, the Levitical priests, Levitical officers, those who served in the temple, sometimes this word is used to describe their duties and responsibilities, that they would worship. I don't think it's an accident that God uses the word work and worship in different context same word but really can have connotations for us today I, I, I don't think it's an accident that he used this word here because through our work we can demonstrate worship New Testament the word for worship, sometimes it's translated serve. 
The word for serve sometimes is translated worship. I believe God used those words in his holy scripture to somehow speak about both elements. Why? Because when we are working for him, we are demonstrating our worship of him. Now, let me say this. Worship should not be your God. Or let me say this. Said it wrong. Work should not be your God. Some people today, their God is work. That's where they spend their time. That's where they spend their efforts. And to be quite honest, if, if they were honest with themselves at least, work is their God. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about work that will glorify and worship your God. God has called us to a work. And he has called us to obedience and service in such a way that we will glorify him. You want a bigger picture of work? Get this picture here. That God has trusted you to take care of this world. He's left us here. I mean, that's really what Jesus was saying when he left. Jesus commissioned us, right? As his people, his disciples, to go out and make disciples. That means caring for this world. And what we do in our work should glorify him. I'm thankful for Jason and others on our staff who have helped us focus in the last year or two on this work is worship idea. And I think we must continue to remind each and every believer that when they go into the workplace or when they are there in the home and they are working, whatever it is, that they are to glorify God, advance the kingdom. Could you imagine how we could continue to multiply the gospel effort if we had, let's say, business people who said, I'm going to intentionally go to this city or I'm going to intentionally go to that nation and I'm going to start a business relationship there. Maybe nations that would not even let in the Christian missionary. But I'm going to start a business there with the specific intent of bringing the gospel to that area. People who would say, I'm going to take my vocation, which also means calling. If you, can, if you look at its root, it means to summon or to call. I'm going to take my vocation and I'm going to use it in such a way to glorify God. Even here, not just the nations, but even here. Maybe a practical application of this is for you tomorrow at 9.30. Let's say 9.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, okay? You stop and you say, what is God using me right now? At this moment, to do, to glorify him. Some of you may be taking care of a patient. Some of you may be teaching children in the school system or at home. You may be teaching. Tomorrow, you may be just going about your regular business, and yet there is somebody that's right there beside you that needs a testimony of Christ. Tomorrow, it may be working on your marriage or your relationship with your children. 
Maybe God's giving you a moment off tomorrow at 930. Whatever it is, think to yourself, what can I do at this moment through the gifts and the talents, strengths that God has given me to advance the kingdom of God and to glorify him? God has given you such a sphere of influence. He has given you a place, a position. He has placed you there to tend the garden, to cultivate it, to produce something out of the raw resources that he's given you. He's called you to guard it. And certainly, he has called you to glorify him through your work. Listen to his word to you. Listen to his Holy Spirit, which speaks to us this morning. And may we be an army of people who are willing, who are obedient in our service to him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would energize us, that you would give us an excitement, that we would recognize that our work, our daily activities, Lord, they're not supposed to be just a part of the drudgery of life, but Lord, they are part of our opportunities to fulfill your will, to impact your kingdom, to glorify you. And God, I pray that you'd give us that sense of purpose, that you would rekindle our spirits. And God, that today in this place, that we would commit ourselves to you, our vocations, our strengths, our weaknesses, Lord, all of it, we'd bring to you and we'd say, God, use those things for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we pray that today as a church, that this motto, work is worship, is, is not just something that we speak, but that it is something that invades our hearts and lives. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray now you would just show your presence, show your might here in this church among your people during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.